Would you guys pray with me once more uh, as we enter into God's word? Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, that my words would be your words, that there would be nothing said that would dishonor your name. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the final week of this series. Uh, we've this now seventh week that we've been spending in this text that you just heard Justin read. And we've read it in different translations, but it's been the same text every week. And, and if you've been here each week, maybe you see a little bit of changes. And this week, there's a key in there. There's a word that we're talking about today. It's called peace. And it's that Hebrew word shalom. Uh, we'll get to a little bit later. But in this text, we've been reading, Paul's reminding us that we're in a battle. We live in a battlefield. We're not like on the sidelines. We're actually in a battle every day. And because we are, he says, use all the armor and weaponry that God provides so that you will be able to stand against the deceptive tactics of the adversary, the adversary being the evil one, the spiritual forces, the devil, Satan is active. And he doesn't take a day off and he doesn't just, you know, you can't just hold up a white flag. He's going to be continually coming at you. And Paul's reminding us through this series that He's always at it, and because we live in this battlefield, we need to take up all the armor, not just a piece of it, but we need to put it all on, and then we need to do that together. It's a command to do so together, that we fight together, that we're not to fight alone, and to do so, we should put on every piece of this armor, the full armor of God, and today we come to that final piece in this litany of armor that he speaks of, and it's this sandals of readiness. And I, I have to admit to you that I was kind of glad that this was the last week for us, because it's out of order, because I remember last week I shared that we're sharing these pieces. But for me, it's the last week, because I have to tell you, when we started it, I'm looking at this going, like, how are sandals armor or weaponry? I mean, like, what am I going to say about that? I mean, how do I, like, fit that in? What is Paul really talking about here? Because I, I, I couldn't see it, but, of course, I had to spend time trying to figure it out, and, and I want to illustrate it this way, what I think Paul is saying. And, you know, when I was in high school, I played football, and my senior year in high school, we actually went to the state championship in football. Uh, and I was in Missouri. It's not Illinois, right? Okay, it's Missouri. But then there were only eight teams that made it, not like the 120 that make it out of each division in Illinois, but it's only eight. And so we were one of those teams in Illinois that made it to the championship. And when we made it to the championship, we were a good team. I mean, we beat some really good teams that year. But there was a challenge for us that day. And the challenge was that it had rained all week. So heavy, thunderstorm after thunderstorm, so much that we actually practiced indoors. And if you knew our coach, you would be like, yeah, he, you'd never practice indoors. You never got a water break except once a day. And, and, and you just didn't take time. It was all about conditioning. So you didn't. And we went inside, which tells you how bad it was raining if you knew Coach Scanlon. We went inside, which is crazy. And it just kept raining and raining and raining. Well, what had happened that year, and this was the last year it happened every year up until then, the game was played at the team, at the team who had the best record. Chillicothe had a better record than us. We had one loss. They had no losses. And so the game was to be played on their home field, which, by the way, was the last year that that happened. The year after we played in that game, 
all future games in the state championship were played at a neutral field, played at the University of Missouri or at the, at the Dome in St. Louis, but it was played at a neutral field. And I think in large part for, that, for what happened this weekend, because it rained. And one of the things Chillicothe did on their field was they brought in fresh dirt, and they put fresh dirt on their field the morning of the game, but it kept raining and raining and raining and raining. So when you get there, you get a picture of what the field must have looked like, right? Now, to help you understand why that was a challenge is these were the cleats that we had to buy for football. And we didn't get to go buy our own, right? We just didn't get to go to Dick's Sporting Goods or somewhere. There weren't Dick's then, right? And so we had to buy those through our coach, which probably means he had a cut from it, right? So from Spotville, you know, they gave him a cut for all the shoes he sold. And, but we had to buy these, and these were the only option we had. And here's the thing about them is this is what the bottom of them looked like. They were molded. They were plastic. They were hard but they were plastic and, and they would wear down. And I'm telling you, this picture, they're not mine, but they look just like my cleats. And because at the end of the year, after the summer and playing all, all fall on these, that's what they look like. You can see they're worn down. Some of them are like broken off. And, and so now you can imagine, right, how, the, how difficult that would have been to play on a really sloppy, muddy field. But see, here's the other side of the coin. These were the cleats that Chillicothe played in. We, we saw that when, when we sometimes tackled them, and they got on the ground. You could see that their cleats were different, right? They had these removable cleats, and their cleats were like this long, where ours were like this. And you could remove these cleats and put new cleats in. And, and they were like running everywhere, and we were slipping and falling in the mud. And this is actually the scene. This, these are pictures of what that day looked like, and you can kind of get a picture of what it must have been like for us in this game, Right? Now, again, we were a good team, but, but this is the, the challenge, and this is the point I think Paul is making, that, you're, that what you wear on your feet makes a difference, that you need to have sound footing if you're going to stand against the adversary, right? And it was never more clear than this day for me, because we were a good team, but the score didn't indicate that. I can't even look up there, so... It still bothers me today because we weren't that bad. Now, they may have been a better team, but we won't know how much better. Honestly, I don't think we will. But you know. It's like, get out of the past, Tony. Get out of the past. But, you know, here I am. But the point is, is that how, what, you're, what you have on a base on your feet make a difference, right? If you're going to stand against the schemes of the devil, Paul says you need to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That is the only way you will stand, that you will have sure footing. Because what the devil likes to do is he likes to change the terrain. It's not always going to be this nice grass, dry field. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in mud, and you need the right footwear if you're going to stand in all kinds of conditions, because he doesn't just come at you on bright, sunny, dry days. He comes at you in the darkest, deepest times of your life and when your footing seems to be shifting and the actual ground seems to be moving underneath your feet and so you need something that will allow you to stand. And Paul says that that readiness, the ability to stand, comes from this gospel of peace. And the cool thing about these sandals that I found kind of gives you an inclination. It actually tells you something in this text. This, these words there, it says, where on... Really, that word there in, in, in the original language means to actually be fitted underneath. 
It's like put under your feet, tie under your feet this readiness, which is fascinating because when you start to research then what that means, you start to look at these sandals that the Roman soldiers wore. And again, these are like replicas. But the cool thing about these sandals is that actually they lace up the middle. They're one piece of leather that they make and that actually separates so that you can actually take a regular shoe and put inside the sandal and then tie the sandal around your shoe. Because you think about it, sandals aren't in themselves like, I mean, who shoveled their driveway this morning in sandals? You can't even stand in sandals in snow, let again. But these sandals are special. And, and here's the thing about it. I mean, the, the Roman army, they were amazing in their technology, right? I, I think they were light years ahead of my high school football coach, by the way. Because I think the opposing coach was a, was, a st- was a student of history. Because here's the thing I found out about these sandals. You see the bottom of these? They're studded. They have cleats. They're one piece of leather underneath this. What they did was they took a piece of wood and they shaped it in the size of the sandal and they adhere that, they glued that down. And then they put this leather over here and then they drive in nails into the bottom of these sandals like studs so that they could actually wear these in all kinds of conditions, and they would have traction. These are the sandals that Paul is looking at. And that gave him this picture that it's like, yeah, we, could, we too can stand against these schemes of the devil. If we wear the right footwear, if we have the right traction, we too can stand. And so Paul tells us that we should be footed, fitted with the right footwear underneath our feet so that we can stand because Satan is always changing the landscape. You know, the book that I've been talking about throughout this series is God's Precious Promises Against, against Satan's Devices, God's Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks, a 17th century Puritan preacher, where he talks about how Satan attacks us. It's not always face-to-face, right? He's pretty sly, pretty wily, and we need to understand how he does this. And one of the ways he says this, and one of the ways that Satan comes at us is this. He says he presents to us the soul the best men's sins, and by hiding from their soul, their virtues. He says, by showing the soul their sins, and by hiding from the soul their sorrows and repentance. That's how Satan attacks us. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about, like, he will show us the sins of the best people in Scripture. Right? He'll show us the sins of David, of Noah, of Moses, of Peter, right? And, And he'll show those sins to us, saying, they, they were, they're human just like you, right? But yet they're, they're considered loved in God's eyes. And, and David was a man after God's own heart. And, and Peter was the foundation on which the church was built. And, and, and these men were just like you. So you're no worse than they are. So, so don't consider this sin as something that's going to undo you. But then what does he do? He hides from you. It says there's sorrows and repentance. What he hides from you is how sorrowful David was and how he was brokenhearted and how every one of these people would have given anything to go back and not have made that decision, have not have fallen into that temptation because of how brokenhearted and how sorrowful they were at listening to the lies of the evil one. How many times have you listened to the lies of the evil one? 
where you, you've thought, well, that's not that bad. And then you, you take that step and then you're like, why, 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 why did I do that? I would give anything, anything to go back and, 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 and to have another chance to not make that choice. But see, he hides that part from you. See, what he does, as we're told, is that he tempts you, right? And in temptation, what we see is that he tempts us to think of ourselves better than we are, right? He, he tempts us to say, well, you're just like, you're, you're no better, you're no worse than, than John or Peter, or you're no better, you're no worse than any of them. You're, you're actually okay. And to think of ourselves as better than we actually are, that's how he tempts us, that you can get through this. It's not going to be that bad. But then once you take that step, he's right there accusing you and accusing you to feel less about yourself than you really are. He hides that part from you so that when you do take that step, he's right there pointing his finger and said, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Seriously? And at that moment, and actually in both moments, he causes us to think of God as less than God is. When we think of ourselves as better than we are, we, we make God really small in our eyes, right? Because we believe we can do it without him, that we have strength enough to, to conquer without him. But then when he accuses us and, and we feel so low and lower than ourselves, we make God small again in our eyes because we believe our sin to be too great for God to handle. We believe our sin too great to go to him and confess to him our sins because we're ashamed and, and we don't think him big enough to handle it, even though he already knows it, right? There's nothing we've done that's a surprise to him. There's nothing that we do that is hidden from him. But yet this shame, this, this accusation that Satan points his finger at us keeps us from going to the one person who can remind us of that love because that's exactly what he wants he wants you to make god small in your eyes he wants you to make yourself bigger and your problems bigger and god smaller he's constantly shifting the ground underneath us he's constantly playing this game of temptation and accusation and if we're going to truly stand and be able to fight against these schemes, Paul says we need to have our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. So what does he mean by that? See, I think a lot of times we use words, especially in the church, we use words sometimes, and we use them so frequently that they kind of lose their meaning. They kind of lose their power. And gospel, I think, is one of those words. We, we, we throw it around. It's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. And, and sometimes we need to pause for a second. We need to slow down. And we need to kind of understand what Paul is saying and, and what, what the writers are saying and what this word means. Well, the word gospel comes from a Greek word. And this Greek word combined together really means this. These two words together mean this, to go and tell good news. To go and tell good news. You've heard, you see gospel translated in some of your scriptures as good news. You saw that today's text. It says the good news of peace, right? It could be translated the gospel of peace. Because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. It's a political term. It's a military term, right? When there was a battle, 
the people in the city, they would be on watch and they would be looking for this herald, for this person that would come running, bringing good news of victory, right? And so there would be a watchman watching for this person. And when this person appeared over the horizon, they were looking for what this person was doing. And this person, if there were victory, would be waving a palm branch. Think about Palm Sunday, for those of you that know that story where the people are waving palm branches because they see the Messiah. See, at just the appearance of this messenger, joy would break out, celebration would break out. They wouldn't even have to wait for that person to show up and say, we won, right? Just their appearance with the palm branch would be, would be word enough, and they would be celebrating in the streets because we had won. That's the good news. But he goes further here. It's not just this good news, but good news about what? He says it's the good news of peace. The good news of peace that seems kind of strange, right? When we're talking about being in a battle, we have peace. But that's the word that he uses here. And, and it's the same word, it's translated twice. And you see it in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And in the Hebrew, it's shalom, which we heard read earlier. And in the Greek, it's arene. And they both mean the same thing. It's this completeness, this wholeness, this well-being and security. That's what peace means. He's saying in the good news that we have been made whole, in the good news that there is well-being, in the good news that there is security. In the middle of a battle, but like, peace with who? From our adversary? It's like, well, no, that doesn't make sense because Paul tells us that we need to be ready because he's always battling against us. So it can't be peace from, from Satan. So peace from who? This is what Paul says in Romans. He says, therefore, since we have been justified, justified means declared righteous. Since we have been declared righteous, remember what righteous means. Righteous means that, we're, that righteousness, that we, have, we are righteous when we fulfill our end of the arrangement in a relationship. Right? We've lived up to our end of the relationship. If we've done that, then we're righteous, and we know that we haven't, but yet Jesus has, and now he offers that righteousness to us through faith, and now that is a gift from God, and so we have been justified, declared righteous. Through faith, we have peace with God. That's the good news that Paul says we need to shove under our feet, is that we have peace with God. It's like, well, I didn't know I was at war against God. I'm told I'm at war against Satan. But he says, no, 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 the good news is, the really good news is, you have peace with God. You think Satan's powerful. You know, you, you don't want God against you. Right? You're not going to win that battle. I don't care how many people you have. I don't know what care what kind of armor you have on. You're not good enough. There's no one righteous. No one has been declared righteous from, from observing the law. No one. We were enemies with God. We were at war with God prior to Jesus coming and declaring righteousness and paying for the sins. He says, through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. We now stand in that righteousness. We now stand in that salvation, saved from the wrath of God. 
we now have peace with God. That's the gospel of peace. See, what the gospel tells us is both good news and bad news because there can't be good news without bad news, right? Just like there can't be cold without warm, right? It's just not possible. For order for it to be good news, there has to be bad news. And the bad news is that you are more sinful than you could ever believe. That's the bad news. And yet, the good news is that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. You are more sinful than you believe, and you are more loved than you could ever imagine. That is the good news of peace. And on your own, you cannot stand. And on your own, you cannot stand against Satan. And if you're at war against God, then you're undone. You're done for. There's there's no hope for you. But because Jesus has come, because Jesus has paid that price, because Jesus has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law and gives you his righteousness, we now have peace. And it's in that peace that Paul says we stand. We stand in his strength. We stand being able to combat the schemes of the devil, right? The bad news combats the temptation. No, no, no. We are more sinful than we think, right? We, we don't think of ourselves as better than. We know we are sinful. And the way we battle temptation is with the good news. It's like, well, who do you think you are, Right? well, I'm more loved than I could ever imagine, than you dare admit. Right, Satan? I'm more loved than you dare admit. That's who I am. I stand in the love of Jesus. I stand with his peace fitted underneath my feet. I stand with his righteousness across my chest. With his salvation on my head, his truth around my waist, his sword in my hand. I stand with Jesus. That's how I stand. That's how I battle the wiles of Satan. I'm a saved child of God. And at those words, we're told Satan flees. He runs at the name of Jesus. And that's who we put on. But here's the good news in the good news. That good news is for everyone not just for those who call themselves Christian or followers of Jesus. Here's what Paul says. He says, when he came, that was when Jesus came, he announced good news, shalom, to you who are far off, and shalom to those nearby. News that through him, through Jesus, we both, those far away from Jesus and those walking with him, have access in one spirit to the Father. We have direct access to the Father. We can now, with confidence because of what Jesus has done, approach the Father and confess our sins. And we're told he is faithful and just and he will deliver us from the unrighteousness. We don't need to pray to anybody else. We can go straight to the Heavenly Father. We don't need an intermediary anymore. We can go straight to God himself because of what Jesus has done. We can stand But in that presence, it just drops us to our knees because we humbly admit that we are more sinful than we could ever understand. 
And when we fall to our knees, he reaches out his hand and he says, stand, because you are more loved than you could ever imagine. That is the peace that we have with God. That is the peace that we live in every day. And we go forth from this place with all the confidence in the world that that is how you are loved. And that is how the world around you is loved. We no longer need to be saying, God hates this and God hates you and God hates this group and God hates that group because God doesn't hate these people. God loves these people. He sent his son into the world to die for these people, to pronounce shalom, that God is no longer counting the sins of the world against us. We do not battle like the evil one. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And the way we battle it is in the peace with God. And we go forward in that peace, announcing that good news to the world. But there's a warning here. And the warning is, don't take that for granted. Don't think just because you've got these magnificent cleats on your feet that you're invincible. Because that's just another trick of Satan. Right? It's that other temptation to think of yourself as better than you are. And Paul, Paul says that to the church at Ephesus. That's what he's telling them in Ephesians 2. He's warning them that don't, don't, don't be taking this for granted. Remember, you were nothing before God saved you. So be humble. Walk humbly with your God. But here's what we know. They didn't heed his words. Because we know 30 years later, Paul, John writes his letter, that revelation to the churches. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, we read John having this revelation, and it's Jesus that sees him. And he has a message to the churches. And the very first church that Jesus has a message to give to is the church at Ephesus. And he says to John, relay this to the church. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. He's saying, tell this church that they have been amazing at studying my word and being able to ferret out false teachers and understand what's true and what's not. You have endured all kinds of hardships for my sake. But, he says, tell them this, yet I hold against you this, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You know this word backward and forward, and you can ferret out false teachers, and you are diligent in doing so, and you've endured hardship, but you have forgotten the love you had at first, which tells us that they fall and pray to the schemes of the devil. They have forgotten their first love. In Ephesians 1 verse 15, Paul says, I'm writing to you and I'm so pleased to write to you because I've heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for his people. They had lost their love for his people. They had lost his, their love for, for one another. Remember, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but they fell prey to Satan's wiles thinking of themselves as better than because they had the word of God. They had the truth. They had the sword. And they were using it. But not in love, Jesus says, because they'd lost that love. 
See, we need not be overconfident because Satan will not stop. We have peace with God, but we will never have peace with Satan until the end. Remember that week of salvation. That one day we, we will be rescued from the presence of evil. One day he will be no longer. But until that day, he still is working, and he still works against us. So do not think of yourselves higher, more, more higher than you ought. But to humble yourselves, Paul says in Galatians, and to think of others as better than yourself. And thereby you put on the full armor of God because you go forth fighting just like Jesus fought, not thinking of himself, not thinking of equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage, but yet he humbled himself and he became obedient, taking the very nature of a human being and being found in the nature of a human, he humbled himself and became a servant, servant unto death, even death on a cross. And that is how we fight. We fight in the strength of Jesus. And it's again in the strength of Jesus that Satan cannot stand. He flees, Scripture says, from us. Which leads us to say, so then what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Because if God is on our side, as we know, the battle is already won. But we go forth every day in that strength, relying on him, humbly relying upon his strength, his shield, his sword, his helmet, his breastplate, his belt, his shoes. We go forth in the strength of Jesus. Not on our own. We go forth strong in the Lord. I pray that through this series you've come to see the love God has for you and the love God has for the world. And that these words that we've been talking about, these weapons we've been talking about have meaning and they have purpose and they have impact in your life. I pray you keep coming back to his word daily to be reminded of just how much you're loved and just what God can do through you in a dark world that so desperately needs to hear that there's peace with God. God is not angry with you. He's no longer counting your sins against you. And that goes for each and every one of you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do give you thanks. And yet we, we admit to you that we fall so easily prey to the accusations and the temptations of the evil one. That we have turned our vices into virtues. That I'm not judgmental, I'm just excellent at personal assessment. Or that I'm not cheap, I'm just frugal. But your word reminds us that you are truly the most gracious one. You are truly the only one who can judge rightly because you do not judge the outward appearance, but you judge the heart of a man. And as you look at us this morning, you know that we are more sinful than we could imagine. But your word at the very same time reminds us that we are more loved than we could ever dare dream. Father, this morning I pray that we would not, we would not go forth from this place without understanding that, that you would imprint that on our hearts and on our minds, that we would go forth from this place and every day in the armor, in the full armor of God, bringing peace to the world, defeating the wiles of the devil, bringing life wherever we go. 
Father, I thank you for the life that you have given each of us through the love and the blood and the life of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.